is making disciples. And we are committed to making disciples whether the people involved are uh, young ones in our children's ministry or whether they are uh, adults, whether they are senior citizens, uh, whether they are um, they are teenagers, whatever they are, we are committed to making disciples. And uh, that also includes uh, assisting uh, uh, folks as they launch out into full-time ministry. And so I, I have, over the last year and a half or so, gotten the opportunity to, uh, to know Scott and Christy O'Neill and their family. And Scott has finished up now his... Uh, his career at um, at seminary and now is going to be launching out in the ministry full time. But before he does that, one of the things that is a blessing uh, that we have is the opportunity to pour into him uh, ministry experiences and training in a practical setting out of the seminary classroom and into uh, the body of Christ. And so uh, this week was his first full, full week with us uh, at, here at the church. Uh, he's been camped out here all week uh, prepping for the message that he will bring this morning. Uh, but he will be here uh, every week over the next uh, roughly six months as he prepares to launch out into full-time ministry. And we want to take the opportunity this morning to... Um, to commission him for his ministry. And so, Scott, I'm actually going to ask you to kneel down, if you would. You're on the stage. We're going to lay hands on you. And I've got a charge um, for you. And this is from the book of 2 Timothy, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. The Word of God says this, I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now I want to pray over Scott. We'll lay hands on him here, but I'll pray over him. And if you would join me. God, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Scott and for his family as they have joined us here at Silcothy Bible Church. We're grateful for the opportunity to make disciples here, uh, even in even among pastors, and to send them out into full-time ministry from this place. Uh, Father, we don't take that calling that you've laid on our lives lightly. Uh, we are committed here to making disciples, helping people to uh, not only be baptized in Jesus' name, but to walk in Jesus' way, and to live out uh, Jesus' life making Him known and knowing Him deeply uh, along the way. And Father, uh, we pray for Scott, we pray for Christy, we pray for the O'Neill family as they begin their uh, official ministry among us. We pray, Father, for uh, Your blessing to be on them, for Your Holy Spirit to fill them, uh, for 
the power of your Holy Spirit to be uh, obviously displayed through them. And Father, we pray that as uh, they finish their preparation for full-time ministry here, we pray that we as a church body might be a blessing to them, that we might uh, pour into them encouragement and uh, uh, exhortation and great love and affection, that we might, as we minister together, uh, help them to launch out saying, this is what a church that is healthy and growing is like. This is what it's like to do ministry in such a place and to have a model for ministry going forward uh, because of their time among us. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, Scott might powerfully deliver your word, but that more than that, Father, that he might walk in holiness and righteousness before you, that he might shine the light of Jesus in the midst of a corrupt and darkened generation, and that you might use him mightily uh, in this generation, Father, for your cause, your calling, your purpose. And Father, we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not sure if I should be happy or just overwhelmed in awe of the glory of the Lord. Praise God. Good morning. <laughs> if you would um, join me in praying this morning and ask, the, ask God to lead us through His Word this morning, please. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you today and every day, Lord. And we call and ask you to be gracious, Father, one more time. Lead us and teach us, edify us through your word. Thank you, Father. Now we ask, Lord, that you would make yourself known in your house this morning. Lord, there are Enemies everywhere, with strongholds everywhere. But the King, the King can set us free, Lord. Would you reveal yourself this morning? Revive us now, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, let me settle down for a moment. <laughs> when I was a kid, um, Saturday mornings were the best time. It's the, it's the only time in the week that my mother would allow us to watch the TV. And it was cartoons, 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 right? Uh, yeah, Bugs Bunny, Tweety and Sylvester, Foghorn, Leghorn, Pepe Le Pew, um, Schoolhouse Rock, and our favorite, The Roadrunner Show. And The Roadrunner Show is like literally the most basic show there is, right? It's just two characters. The Roadrunner, the very speedy Roadrunner, and of course the very hungry, wily Coyote. And essentially the show goes like this. Wily Coyote spent his entire life trying to achieve one goal, to capture himself the Roadrunner. Uh, he didn't do literally anything else. 
And he would use every resource that seemed to fly out from the sky, because who has money if you're a coyote, to fulfill his most basic desire, to capture and defeat the roadrunner. He couldn't help it. Everything inside of him wanted and needed to win against the roadrunner. Even though every weekend the show ended with the coyote standing in ashes or falling off a cliff because of his continued foolish attempts to overcome something he could never overcome, it didn't stop him. Week after week after week, even though he knew he was going to lose. And this morning, the Bible teaches us in Revelation that Satan, the enemy of God, who knows the end of the story, and sadly, all who follow him will ultimately be defeated in what I'm calling sin's last stand against God. So if you would, let's open up our Bibles to Revelation 20 this morning. We're going to be in verses 7 through 15. Uh, Revelation 20, 7 through 15. And if you're able this morning, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And the Bible says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Praise God for his holy word. You may be seated. You've heard the saying, sometimes it gets worse, it gets worse before it gets better. It seems pretty clear that in verses 7 through 15, it gets a little bit worse before it gets better. Let's just work this through verse by verse, section by section this morning. Verse 7, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. I don't want you to forget this morning that God's plan has always included his people ultimately worshiping him without hindrance. The millennial reign of Christ, these thousand years in verse 7, will be a time where the influence of Satan and sin will no longer prevent the gospel from being shared to everyone and all unreached people. And what a glorious time of human flourishing and gospel prosperity 
all those who are with Christ will experience in those days. If you recall, Pastor Joe last week said those who live through the millennial kingdom in some ways will have it better than Adam and Eve because Satan himself will be banished from the earth. Can you imagine a thousand years without Satan? Imagine a thousand years where sin is not sown by him and his demon army. And when I consider that, it just makes me think of long life in the presence of Jesus, and that is awesome. Many, many will come to faith as the gospel is shared out everywhere. Families will grow and gather together to worship the true king on his throne. Pastor Joe also said, no one will no longer be able to say, if only I heard the good news that I would have believed. And no more roadblocks. To the ends of the earth, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, everyone on earth will hear the good news that Jesus saves us from our sin. Instead of by faith in the Son of Man and not by sight, it will be faith that sees the Son of Man sitting on his throne. And as we rejoice and find hope in that reality, this text seems to take a terrible turn. Pastor Josh and Joe shared a lot of hope in the last couple of weeks, but this text seems to get a little bit darker. Satan is, in fact, released from his prison. I just want to think about the word Satan. Think about how the Bible describes Satan. He is a liar, the father of lies. Beelzebub, right? The, the ruler of demons, the king of darkness, the lawless one, the tempter. Now, the word Satan actually means adversary. He's an adversary to God because he, he opposes that which is true. And he stands in direct opposition. To the, to the God who created truth. His desire is to create every and any obstacle to the truth so to prevent you from knowing it. And the tool he uses is right here in verse 8, deception. And he is an expert deceiver. The Bible says Satan will be released from his prison, verse 8 and 9, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Deception. To the devil, that's the name of the game. He doesn't use fireworks or dynamite or steel traps like Wiley Coyote does. He uses deception. And it's quite obvious that Satan is really good at it because he's able to deceive a countless number of people from all over the world to stand against God. Deception. Just talk about that for just a moment. It's when you tell someone something without telling them the whole truth. And Satan is the master storyteller. Right? He is known for leaving out really important details to try and convince you to believe wrong is right. 
It's like a magician. It's like a magician who deceives entire audiences into thinking that a plane has disappeared before their very eyes. Satan is the master illusionist who causes many not to see what's right in front of them. And in this case, it's the glorious Christ. Jesus. It's the same thing he's been doing before he was thrown into prison, and he starts right back up doing the same thing he did when he comes out. Obstacles. Obstacles in your thinking that cause you to step forward when you should actually step back. He's like a magician who does card tricks, right? He draws your attention and focus with what's going on in his left hand so you don't see what's going on in his right hand. I think when I read these verses, when I think about them, it begs the question, how is it so possible that so many would witness the second coming of Christ, Jesus in all his glory, watch him defeat darkness and sin, cast evil into a pit, and yet still be deceived into following Satan and not the glorious king? I think the sad reality is the world that Jesus is reigning over in this text, just like this one, is a broken world. Like total restoration does not happen until Revelation chapter 21, and Pastor Joe is going to preach the heck out of that next week. And although the King of kings and the Lord of lords is with them on earth, there are so many who are still broken so deep in their heart. Even though they have worshipped and rejoiced in the reality of Christ on earth, in spite of the fulfillment of so many prophecies, no matter how many miracles and displays of power and authority, some, some will never believe. And all it will take to reveal the true heart of many will be time. Don't be deceived into thinking sin can be hidden forever. Don't be deceived into thinking if you've forgotten about your sin, but God hasn't. Eventually something is going to be ignited in you, and you're going to turn and make your stand with God. All of us, every one of us has done battle with God. Everyone has been enticed by something that grabs our attention, deceiving us into thinking wrong is right. For some of us, it gets to the point where we build forces so large around us just to deceive those about the lies in our life. Deception. Some are really good at getting the eye off of what's in front of us. Our sin. Redirecting it somewhere else. This isn't a new ploy. It's not a new tactic. God's been doing it. Satan has been doing this since the beginning. He did it with Eve in the garden. And it's exactly what he does in verses 8 and 9. Every one of us loves the darkness of our sin more than the light. And all sin is what it says in 1 John. The book of Numbers says that your sin will be exposed. And when that happens, everyone will know whose side you're on. It's easy to deceive, especially when the truth is going to hurt. So I want to ask you this morning. It's a 
somber, challenging question. Are you living a life leaving out those important details that prevent the truth from being told? Are you surrounding yourself with people who only buy into what you're saying? Maybe it's your spouse. I can tell you that it's a very difficult relationship, right? Maybe your friends could be work, might even be your pastor. But don't risk losing your family, your job, and ultimately your future just because you don't want to deal with the truth. And we see the effect of deception around this everywhere. I mean, let's be honest, y'all. This last year, deception has caused tremendous heartache. Just last week, those who marched on the White House revealed much about their hearts and where they stand with God. People enraged and overcome by lies and false truth standing against the most powerful place in the world. If you're deceiving those around you, I want you to know that you might have more in common with Satan than you think you do. It is a hard reality. And I think it's fair to say that those who are in this text during this time, in Revelation chapter 20, their consciences are seared. They have bought lock, stock, and barrel into the deception. And they've revealed their heart and the truth of where they are with God. God will get the glory in the end. The book of of Ezekiel has a lot to say about that. I mean, God, God says in chapters 38 and 39, He says to those who stand against Him, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And in a single moment here in verse 9, God's glory will consume all those who stand against Him, right? His glory will be displayed in a way that should create awe in the eyes of both sinner and saved. All those who have been deceived, gone in a world from the world in an instant. And they'll, be, they'll be cast into, into a prison. Think of it as kind of a holding cell for the, for the next couple of verses. And there's really not much to say, actually. What looks like a war as Satan builds his army actually just becomes a rout. It's just over that quickly, in a moment. And then God turns his attention to the master deceiver, Satan, right here in verse number 10. Let's read it together. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, so many people think dying will end in disintegration, as if you never existed. Those who are consumed by fire will go to Hades, 
we'll go to that holding cell. And here, Satan, he just bypasses that whole thing because his sentence was determined long ago. He was cast out of heaven from the presence of God with a third of the heavenly realm. His lifetime of deception and lawlessness has been witnessed by heaven and all those on earth over and over and over again for all to see, and his punishment is very swift and a very public one. In the end, he just doesn't disappear as if he never existed, but he's thrown into a literal hell, the lake of fire. Now, I don't know if there's actually fire and sulfur. I'm not even sure if it's a lake. But what I do know, and what the Bible teaches, is that the lake of fire is a place of total torment, both body and mind. In hell, you will be reminded of your hatred for God, which will make you hate God more and more forever and ever. And that tells me that it's a place where sinners go to sin for eternity and their shame is always before them. All the lost, all the deceived, everybody who stands against God will be tormented. And Satan will join the beast and the false prophet. Everyone not saved by the king. I think these verses make something really, really crystal clear. God knows the secrets of the heart. And there's a time when no obstacles will prevent God's enemies from being set apart for destruction. We need to know that tomorrow may never come, so we need to get right with God. Our time is very limited, friends. And the sin that separates many from God will be revealed and dealt with. And we can either stand with the king, and he will judge the sin on the cross, we can find rest in Him, both small and great. We can find victory in Him. We can rejoice in Him this morning. Or we can stand and be judged in that final courtroom scene by God. And that's right here in verse 11. Verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Listen, we cannot explore the extent of the great white throne and what it really means this morning. But suffice it to say, the one who sits on it is Jesus. There is only one judge, friends. The Word that became flesh. Jesus alone has been given that right, that responsibility to judge, as it says in the Gospel of John in chapter 5. And the book of Hebrews says that His judgment is pure and perfect. Psalm 96, He comes to judge the earth and the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. Christ, the exalted King, is above all, and His justice is right and required. 
And here in this text, he starts with creation itself. In the Garden of Eden, creation was unspoiled and perfect without corruption. However, the sin of man has exposed earth and sky and the seas to the effect of its corruption. Everything is tainted, and all of it must go. Just like Jesus spoke the world into existence in a moment from nothing, so too he will speak the judgment on creation, completely destroying it in a moment by the power of his word. He is God, and there is nothing that is stained by sin that can remain in his prison, his presence. Listen, Jesus, not just your friend, but the glorious king, perfect, righteous, and holy, will judge the biggest things in creation along with what many are deceived into thinking are the most insignificant ones. Let's look at verse 12 real quick. Actually, verse 12 and following. And the Bible says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. These three verses could easily be a sermon all by their own. But for our purpose this morning, I want us to briefly put on our accounting cap. I'm not a finance guy, right? That's my wife, Christy. She spent her professional career working through, seriously, very complex financial systems, um, calculating and recalculating, checking and rechecking, making sure things were balanced and reconciled properly. And for me, that work begins and ends at the checkbook, right? I mean, I just, I log into Heartland Bank and, um, I view all the transactions documented in the system and make sure that what has been reported is accurate and I have a record of it. All the activity needs to be accounted for in the checkbook. If I've done the recording and the calculations correctly, my checkbook will be balanced and the records will be reconciled. And what we see here in these verses is really plain. There will be a time when the books will lay open, the books will lay open before the great white throne and everyone who is not reconciled to God will be exposed and the scales of justice will be balanced. The records of unrighteousness will be revealed. There will be no credit, none in anyone's account. All that will be displayed in these ledgers are the debts that we owe God for our unrighteousness. From the smallest, seemingly insignificant sin to the greatest tragedies of every life will be on display for all to see. Can you even imagine the horror? There will be no hiding. You won't be able to run far enough away. Everyone who has died, not reconciled to God, will stand before the righteous judge. So whether you gently pass away, laying in your bed from this life into the next. 
with all those who perished in the flood and every person consumed by heaven's holy fire in verse 9. And even if you're shipwrecked and burned up in a boat fire in the middle of the ocean and the deepest parts of the sea deteriorate your body until nothing is left, you will not escape justice and judgment of God. I know it's really heavy. I know it's really heavy. But just like an accountant reviews the debts on the financial statement and reconciles them with the credits found in the checkbook, your debt will only be reconciled in these books. Your debt today is only reconciled by the credit that comes from the blood of Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, that we are all enemies of God. And the only way to be reconciled to God is faith in Jesus. The very same God-man, Jesus, that loved to live for love is the very same God who loves justice. If your sin is not covered by the blood of Jesus today, if His work of righteousness is not covering your unrighteousness, the Bible says, you're already under the judgment of God. But today is the day of reconciliation, friends. Today is the day for you to call on the name of Jesus. Believe today that Christ lived a life you could never live and died the death that you deserve. Believe He rose again in glory, offering eternal hope to all who call Him Lord. Friends, He has won the victory over sin and is the only way to salvation. Today is the day for your debts to be covered by the credit of Christ and His blood from the cross. Your name can be written in the book of life right now. If you don't put your faith in the debt-canceling King of all kings and Lord of all lords, and sadly, you will experience a second death. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's an end to this story and this sermon. There's an end to everyone's story. The truth is the gavel will fall. And the penalty will be proclaimed and time will run out. For the unjust, justice will be served. It will be swift and the reward for unrighteousness will be torment in hell forever. There is a sobering reality to this section of the scriptures. It confronts the truth of our existence and the cost of our sin. I have to admit, it's really super uncomfortable to stand up here and tell you, all of you, whether you're 7, 17, or 70, if you don't put your faith in Christ, your name will not be written in the book of life. As much as it pains me to say this, loving you well demands me to tell you the truth. Jesus, the most loving person who walked on the face of the earth, 
He preached more about hell than anyone. It's, a, it's serious business that requires serious thought and sobering truth. Sin must be dealt with. Take heart. Because those who have escaped judgment, those who have not been penalized in our flawed justice system, in this life will be judged in the next. Take heart that the millions of lives lost by the hand of Hitler and his Nazi regime and all those who died defending their cause the 60 million abortions that were performed in the U.S. since the mid-70s, all of it, all of those, all of those will find justice. Husbands who have abused their wives, mothers who have abused their children, and children who have abused their siblings, those who thought they got away with it. All sin, great and small, will be revealed and the justice of God will be served. Praise be to God, friends, for His justice. If you are in Christ this morning, if you've been saved by Jesus, then sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation among all the peoples. Declare His glory, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. For He comes to judge the works of the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. I mean, these verses teach us God knows all things and He cannot be deceived. Every wrong is recorded and every sin is exposed. No matter how small or great, the punishment is eternal hell. God will judge the wrong without regard for the right. And darkness will be revealed in the light of God's righteous judgment. And the only hiding place, the only hiding place is found in Christ. The only way to escape the justice of God is to repent and turn to Him for the forgiveness of your sins and be covered by the blood of the Lamb. There is no sacrament that will save you. There is no season of seeking God. Those who are far off can only be brought close by the blood of Christ. If you're here this morning, and you see your need for Christ, would you talk to someone? Anyone. Children. Children, talk to your parents. We would love to help you experience the joy of knowing your name can be written in the book of life. I can't think of a better way to start the new year than knowing you can have new life in Christ today. Let's pray. Father, I am overwhelmed by the grace you freely give us in Christ the King. Lord, there is so much hope, so much hope for the future of your family because you have won the victory over sin, 
and there is salvation in your name. Father, would you help us leave this place this morning knowing that those who know you have found victory God, we are conquerors and there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from your love. You have paid it all, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you loved to live to love. Help us now to love others as we leave this place. We pray now in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.